Hola, Todd. Hola, como esta, Laura? Muy bien. Don't that's ask me I anymore. Know. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I took French at Charleston County me School too. of the Arts. I, I did not. <laughs> Donde esta la biblioteca? Right? That's yes, the other one, right? Queen. Yeah, I literally yeah. saw that in a comedy show last night, so that's the only reason I knew it. And it, the whole point, it was kind of hilarious. He was making, it's like, that it's funny. He's from Brazil, but he was saying that it's kind of ridiculous that that's like one of the first things that Americans are taught in Spanish is like, right. where's the library as if you're going to be in a situation who's going to a place where there's beaches and activities and they're like wait where's no no i don't where's want any of that no, where no, no. is the library the library <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, and also you can't read any of it because you don't know spanish okay exactly it's just hilarious exactly anyways exactly well what have you been up to well you know this is actually a nice weekend for me the kids are visiting their dad so I get a little bit of me time and, yeah. and it, we love, we love a me moment. We love a me moment. I mean, so I'm soaking that in and the weather's actually surprisingly, you know, they keep threatening for it to be crazy torrential downpours. It's not, I think I might go play some golf, have dinner with my parents tonight, you know, oh, that's, that's lovely. Yeah. So say I'm, hi to them for me. Oh, I will. And also, hi, mom. I don't think I say hi to her enough on this podcast. We always reference your mom because you're cussing so much, but you know. I know. She said, I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> oh, she's not, you did drop the <laughs> F word once in this one. So I did. Uh, so, sorry, Mama Jackie. It was only once. He's getting better. It was only once. What have you been up to? I went and saw a musical last night in Thousand Oaks, California. It was called Ragtime. So that was fun. And I hung out with Sarah, oh, who fun. was on the podcast, oh, Sarah King. Her. Yep, it was great. And then I do have to kind of plug right now okay, our friends who are on the show, Honey Fire, H-U-N-E-Y Fire, were just on Taste of Country. Oh, really? Yeah, the website, which is like, you know, really, really huge in country music. And their new song, Manser, came out. Mm-hmm. I don't need a Manser. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. What a cool name. But the song is it is awesome. It's fine. And I want to encourage everybody to go download Honey Fire's Manser song. I mean, I personally love the song Breaking Necks, but they are going to blow up. Yeah. Like, I'm just so proud of them and yeah. shout out to them. And they were on our podcast. They were in the first season. So go yes, check that go out Go check as well. that out for sure. But They're the guest we have today, the guest yes. we have today, though, he yeah. was so awesome. Yes. His name is Ryan Hagen, and he just couldn't have been more warm and genuine, wonderful human. Jack of all trades. I mean, I just don't even know how he has accomplished so much in his, you know, seemingly short time on this earth, or maybe he's just like looks incredibly young, but you know, he's got- He drank the death becomes her potion. Yes. Oh my God. Why don't we all have that? I guess because it was, you know, very rare, but he's definitely done a lot. He, he's got a lot of wisdom that he, you can tell he draws from a lot of different things. He's a musician. He's, you know, Mm -hmm. just a cool guy. And I think everybody that, you know, kind of just wants a little taste of all of the ways that you can heal and some good solid advice is really going to benefit from this. Exactly. Exactly. So I'll go ahead and tell our listeners about Mr. Ryan Hagen. Ryan is a Nashville based holistic wellness coach, energy healing practitioner, hypnotherapist, meditation teacher, psychic medium, and he's a singer songwriter. As 
A freshman musical artist, Ryan's globally acclaimed music has topped the radio charts in the UK alongside Beyonce, Ariana Grande, and The Weeknd. Alongside his blossoming music career, Ryan runs a holistic coaching practice with an international reach serving both celebrity and non-celebrity clients alike. Ryan's personal success actually began as a prep athlete where he won five national championships as a wrestler and also played football and ran track and field. After a spiritual awakening, Ryan uncovered spiritual gifts he suppressed in childhood of healing and extrasensory perception, which today he blends with his coaching work with clients. Recently, Ryan has developed something of a cult following on social media, aiming to reframe today's mental health challenges with content from both a scientific and spiritual perspective. And without further ado, I give you Ryan Hagen. Well, good afternoon. Good morning. Oh, good afternoon. Yeah, what is it? Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing so well. I'm even better now. Oh, good. We are so pumped to have you on. So thank you for taking time out of your day to come hang out with us. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. I mean, we know you are a busy, busy man. You literally do all the things. All the things. So we have a lot (laughs) to cover today. And with that being said, let's just jump right in so that we can get to all the good stuff. So you are basically the definition of a Renaissance man, at least by my standards. So we will get into all of that shortly. But first, could you just give us and our listeners a little background about yourself, where you grew up and how you got to where you are today? Yes, yes. So I'm a native of Birmingham, Alabama, Bible Belt, USA. (laughs) My neck of the woods, sort of. Yeah. So I'm a Southern boy, but I have family that's in the Northeast. So I have this mix of Southern gentleman and city kid kind of in my blood. So that's, I guess, why I wound up in Nashville, because that's where (laughs) I live now. Because it's this beautiful kind of hodgepodge of, of both uh, big city and still Southern charm. So I grew up as an athlete before anybody sort of knew me today as a musician or a coach or what have you. So that was my claim to fame back then. I was always around the clock doing something and extracurricular sports wise working out and had a great time with that. But then my body was like, nope, okay, we got to move on. Got into corporate America, sold out a little bit because the spiritual part of me, the mental health part of me really started to blossom in college, but also the dollar signs, you know, Mm -hmm. and as I was graduating, the economy was really not doing well. And so there was this like collective fear and I thought, you know what, I better just take the safe route. And, you know, I learned from that, but wasn't exactly a fit for me. I don't enjoy working under other people, especially for causes that I don't feel connected to. So eventually the universe kicked my butt and basically ejected me out of that and got into working for myself, doing music. But in between, most people think, oh, you're a musician. You moved to Nashville for music. I was like, No, I moved to Nashville for my corporate job. I was running away from my passions, from my goals in life that I really wanted to do. So corporate America took me to Nashville, but that was just the universe using it, I think, to get me there. But as fate would have it, I connected with a lot of folks, songwriters, producers, my vocal coach, vocal producer, Kim Sandusky, who is just an incredible legend. And she really gave me the confidence and encouraged me. Kind of, she's the vocal coach for Beyonce, I think. She is, yes. That's and super she's cool. With lots of people and all, 
genres of music, but that is the one that I think most people associate her with. So she was really instrumental with, I believe, Beyonce's dad in forming Destiny's Child oh, wow. and getting the girls together. So yeah, she's Very been cool. there since the beginning for her. That's super well, cool. Ryan, you hear a lot of things. You're a singer-songwriter, an energy medicine practitioner, a Reiki master, a hypnotherapist, an NLP practitioner, a psychic medium, a meditation teacher, and holistic wellness coach, and a retired athlete with five national wrestling championships under your belt. Okay, can we just all have a minute? Like, wow. That was great. So <laughs> that's incredible. So let's start about talking about one of them. Let's talk about your music. Can yes. you tell us about how you moved away from your corporate job when after you got to Nashville? And got into music and how you eventually landed you on the top five radio charts in 2020 and 2021 in the UK, which is basically the UK's version of the Billboard charts. Yeah. So the fun part of this is that I really started just writing when I was in college for my own mental health. It was my way of getting stuff out. And I didn't really have that skill set yet to communicate. So music was very healing for me. So then... As I fast forward to being in Nashville, working in a job that I was just miserable in, it taught me a lot of things and I'm grateful for the experience, but I was not aligned with it. I, The universe opened the door for me to actually start exploring that in a more professional way. And I got connected to some incredible people here that really helped me hone in my writing skills. I kind of have a knack for communication, but when it came to talking about me in a musical setting, the universe knew I needed some sharpening. So... I released a couple of singles, just indie, no big deal. I happened to, and this story is really just goes to show like the law of attraction and how the universe works. I was out for a run in an area of Nashville that's like really kind of a touristy spot. And I don't know if you're familiar with the show, The Home Edit, but the stars of that show were actually having a birthday dinner for one of the folks on the team. And it was on an outdoor patio that was right by the sidewalk that I was running on. And they flagged me down. They said, hey, 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 we're having a birthday party. Could you take a picture of us? And of course, I just thought, oh, gosh, here we go. Another group of Nashville tourists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I take the picture and I was with a running buddy. And they said, well, can we also get a picture of you? And I'm going, oh, my gosh. So they take a picture of me and my buddy and Lo and behold, about 30 minutes later, when I get to my car, I'm filled just with like a covered in sweat, drinking fluids on the way home. I get a call and somebody's like, Hey, how did you get on the home edit Instagram page? Like, do you realize you're blowing up right now? So I, I look at my little tiny 500 follower, you know, indie musician Instagram and I'm at like 3000 followers and oh my 30 gosh. Minutes. So the universe, like I've been manifesting, I was like, you know, I'd really like to find fulfillment in music, be recognized, see this grow. And before I knew it, I had like over 20,000 followers and it was all because of that one moment. And crazy. so I, I have to say, I owe a lot, well, to the universe for orchestrating that, but also to them for being so cool and for posting that. And basically it was like they said, does anybody know who these people are? We want to actually formally thank them publicly for stopping their run and taking a picture of us. So yeah, that's how wow. it all started. That is so cool. Yeah. And to come from like the most unexpected direction. That's amazing. Yeah. And it worked out because I got to step up to the negotiating table with some pretty powerful people in the music industry. And I had a little bit of something to show for, you know, my development and my audience I'd really attracted in. 
I'm so blessed because it's not just an audience that liked pop music, but it was also an audience that really enjoyed my reflections on mental health and spirituality. And that's how I started to pivot eventually down the road. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but to actually opening up my coaching practice to more than just, you know, 10 people. So it was just kind of a happenstance thing, but I don't believe in coincidences anymore. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. I mean, and you are a very, I know you're talking about honing your your song writing, but you're a very talented singer. I encourage everybody to go, we'll obviously have all the links to all the things, but I was jamming out to your music before we started. And it's just, it's just like, it's good. It's like, it makes you feel good. So I am happy that that home edit experience happened. And then you have found, you know, great success with that. And we, you know, I can't wait to see what more you've got with that. And, and we'll get back to that later on as well. But we also know you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but we're also raised Southern Baptist. As somebody from yes. the South, I know what that means. You are also a psychic medium. So could you tell us a little bit how you were able to come to terms with your sexuality being in the church and what it was like, essentially, I'd say coming out two times of the closet. It really was two closets. And I'm still weighing which one was more painful to come out of. Yeah, believe it or not, I have gotten as much pushback and skepticism from people about the spiritual connected aspect of my life as I have my sexuality. The interesting thing is I didn't really choose either one they were sort of given to me. They're just jealous. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You got too much going for you. (laughs) That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Mm -hmm. I like that, Todd. Thank you. So I started dating somebody when I was in college. It was my first opportunity to sort of step out of the church environment to be on my own. You know, when you live with family, people are looking over your shoulder. I grew up in a small community and it just, was understood. Like, that's not okay. And I always knew that there was something different about me. And so in college, when I had the opportunity to sort of explore it, there we go. That's how it all began. And then I was more so found out than Mm. I came out. It was something that um, sort of spread and it got to my family. And so that was what actually created the opening for me to get into mental health therapy as a client. And I really started to do my shadow work, my self-development, my growth, my healing when I was 18. So I've been in this space for a long time as both, you know, client and also just sort of connoisseur of trying to understand, you know, our development, our growth, what we come here to do. So that was the sexuality piece. And I have to say, one thing that was really shocking to me and, and Todd and Laura, perhaps you also have resonance with this, but I'm just thinking Todd, because I know you work in entertainment as well, is that the entertainment community is not exactly the most open and affirming place. It's oh, they're the fucking worst. Excuse me. French. <laughs> really? They, no, no. Oh my God. Well, they feign inclusivity and they feign community, but it's like you're at the pines of Fire Island. Everyone's such a little bitch. Like how so? <laughs> I'm trying to, sorry. I they're know. just, there's inner, I don't know, Ryan, maybe you can speak to this. There's like inner little microaggressions against or little prejudices against each other within the community. 
that are, aren't really discussed that often, to be honest with you, because yeah. we're trying to, you know, promote this to the government and everything. We're trying to promote this like unity. We're, we're together. We stand together. We're the rainbow. You know, we accept all the LGBT, but there's a lot of gay guys that don't believe in bisexuality. There's a lot of gay guys that have problems with trans people. So it's feigned as this, and especially in the entertainment community, like Ryan was saying, it is, it is very prevalent. Because that's what I was like, kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit, because from the outside, you would think, you know, kind of like Hollywood, like it should be, you know. Well, there's still a lot of closet cases going on in Hollywood, too. There's still, exactly. there's, that's still I mean, running rampant. Yeah. So I guess in Tom a way, Cruise. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first oh, thing of that. I like the word microaggression, Todd, that you use because it's sort of like, okay, it's just understood that your brand will be straight. You will be only hetero. You'll be pictured with women. You'll use the pronouns of her and she. And it's one of the reasons that I remained independent because I didn't want to get trapped in another closet of having to do something. It would be re-traumatizing to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that in some way I missed out on earlier opportunities because I was resistant to that, but I would say it wound up paying off in the end. But yeah, it's really all about branding and appealing to the widest audience, even though there have been these sort of killer exceptions to the rules like Sam Smith, there's still this, you know, even he started although I love him, I'm sure he was started out as sort of more neutral, I guess. It maybe wasn't, I don't know. I'm not sure about his story, but at least that's what it looked like from the outside. So he didn't talk about it in the beginning and then he came out as gay and then he came out as non-binary. Yes. Yeah. So that was sort of his trajectory, but they made him get super skinny. First of all, he talks about that now that he was starving himself. Yeah. And he got but really yeah. into the dress, like his expression of like who he was with the way he dresses and stuff. That was like later on. I mean, it was like he almost had to be accepted and then be like, and guess what? I also do this other stuff. But that's well, sad. He's got that the power, right? Yeah. Because the music spoke for itself. So then people realize, oh, nobody, nobody really gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I, you know, I've dated both women and men. So for me... It didn't feel inauthentic necessarily to be pictured with women and like my videos and, and all that. But in a way, I just felt like I still didn't have the freedom really to be as expressive and open about it completely. So in any event, that's my spiel on the music industry, at least. I can only really speak from that perspective. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure you know a lot more about the acting world. And, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's such a joy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, let's now get into your intuitive psychic medium abilities. We know this works differently for everyone that has the, the gift, but how old were you when you knew you had it? And how does it manifest for you exactly? And then there's this part two to that question. Is it ever distracting in your coaching and everyday life? <laughs> that is a great question. Nobody's asked me that second one before. So yeah, don't let me forget it. The first, the answer to your first question is I was very, very young. I was seeing my maternal grandmother who had passed many years before I was even born. And I've since not really retained that particular aspect of my clairvoyance, like being able to see spirit as much as I am able to interact or feel, sense, communicate with. I remember I was maybe seven or eight and I had a neighbor that had committed suicide. And of course, as Faye would have it, my bedroom in the home was the closest one to that Mm -hmm. home. And 
I didn't know what was going on, but it was like, I just had a sense something was in the room. I was feeling like coolness all over me. And it was like, somebody was looking at me and trying to, and I was in bed, you know, like trying to go to sleep. And the only reference I had for like God at that time was Jesus. So I just kept praying Jesus, like, please take this away. I'm scared. Like, please, okay, please, yeah. please. And I would say the Lord's prayer. I'd pull the covers up over my head and eventually it started to go away only to come back like a flood in, oh gosh, I think 2016, I started meditating and experiencing spirit and thought I must be making up things in my head as I slowly began to open up to friends who I knew were open to astrology and maybe had tarot readings or what have you. I was just looking for anybody to sort of just kind of passively check it with like, you know, have you ever had experiences where, you know, you might have thought hypothetically, that, if there was so, somebody <laughs> not saying it's me, but yeah. I'm a friend. <laughs> and they were wonderful. They were incredible. Everybody that was in my inner circle was really, really supportive of it. Although, like I say, I was almost like another closet to come out of because not everybody was. You know, I had people saying, isn't it really interesting? You talk about mental health, but then you're basically schizophrenic. You know, people have been ugly about it. And I have to respect that. I mean, for nothing else, I know what it's like to be sort of brainwashed and indoctrinated. And so I have to respect that that's maybe where somebody's at that's being negative or accusatory towards me. But I always tell clients, I'm like, listen, there is nobody that's a bigger skeptic than me because I tried to disprove it time and time and time again, and I just couldn't. And I eventually had to get to this unconditional place of surrender and just accept that, you know what, regardless of whether people understand it or not, I have to accept this part of me and roll with it. Right. So, and so is, when you're with clients, is it ever distracting or in your coaching or in your everyday life? Like, are you like, can y'all be quiet? Yeah, like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have I have a dear friend who's also my manager and she is quite intuitive herself. She's from Hawaii where they're just sort of raised, you know, with the awareness. They literally in their heritage, they call themselves the star people, right? Mm -hmm. So like she gets it. I was doing a public mediumship demonstration and she was in the room and I'm like, girl, your people are loud. <laughs> your people are loud. So there are these interesting sort of things that happen in real time where I'm like, okay, I love you guys, but like, hold on. Mm -hmm. And if I am with a client who is open to it, I will just ask first. I always like to ask permission. I know there are some quite famous mediums who are on TV that go around and they do these sort of like impromptu readings. And I think maybe there's a time and a place for that. Maybe the universe will use that. For me, I feel like my ethics are I really want to check it out with somebody first because I don't want to get, you know, into a place where I'm forcing this on them. I like to believe that the people that are ready for it come to me though. And so oftentimes I will be able to communicate from somebody that's on the other side for a client, but I like to check it out first. I will say the one thing that's a challenge for me as I'm practicing is, and I believe you've had people on other podcasts talk about this, being patient with people where they're at today. Intuitively, I may know that somebody's block is X, Y, or Z, 
but I also have to kind of walk right up to that line and let them heal it and process it at their own pace. Because if I force it, it can actually sabotage things and then it gets really confusing. So it is a dance. I prefer to sort of keep them separately, although I don't think I can separate Ryan the coach from Ryan the medium. They will oftentimes use my experience and the things that I've learned over time to communicate to people in a certain way. So it's nice that spirit can use that to reframe certain life challenges that people are going through. But if I have somebody that's just coming in because, you know, they're just full blocked, I'll take the information and I'll say, okay, if there's an open window, I'll use it. Okay, guys, is that okay? <laughs> is it really is it really like that though? Like almost like you are communicating directly with them? Like, is it a clear kind of message or is it, I don't know, like a chatter? I don't know. I'm just interested in how- Do they show you pictures? Yeah. What comes, how does it come through? Yeah. So they speak to you, number one, in your voice. Oh. Yeah. And the second thing- What if I'm sorry. (laughs) I know. Well, that's the whole thing. I really think all of us have this interconnectedness, not just with all of those who are here in the physical- But those who are on the other side, they're just the same energy, just they're discarnate. So there is this connectedness that I think we all have, but we're socialized to not believe it. We're socialized that that's just the Hollywood horror films, right? And there's just this one medium, you know, out there who can sort of channel the dead, but like not you, you're normal. (laughs) So I think that we actually, we do come here with an intuitiveness that sort of is taught to be suppressed. But in terms of how does it work for me? So they speak to me through my experience. They speak to me in my voice, but also they activate the information through what we call the clairs. And clairs is just a French word that means clear. And then the word that comes after it, like for example, voyance, clairvoyance, tells you which sense you're using. So we have five physical senses right? Seeing, hearing, touching, smelling. So those translated into the non-physical sense would be clairvoyance, clear seeing, which would be your third eye or your mind's eye. So if you get a vision and you too can do it. So if I were to say, all right, pause right now and imagine your favorite vacation spot, you could do it, right? You could conjure that picture up. Well, spirit communicates to you in the same way. They use symbols and metaphors Sometimes you might remotely be viewing something that's literally and actually happened, but often they speak to you in metaphors or symbols. It's a little bit like charades. So the other senses would be clear audience, so clear hearing, clear cognizance, which is just you don't know how you know, but you know that you know. That's clear cognizance, and I could go on, but those are the psychic senses or the extrasensory perception or there's a lot of verbiage that just means they're just spiritual senses and we all right. have them. There's a seatbelt medium now. His name is Thomas John. I don't know if you've seen him. And there was an episode where, cause you talked about like they can't get quite loud. He said, well, the girl got in the car and he was driving her. Cause he does readings while he drives Uber. And so oh, cool. he's the real deal. Yeah. She got into the car and he like, he was starting to get dizzy and he like had to pull over and he was like, you know, I have to take you back. And he's like, I'm a medium and you have a lot of, people with you it's like you have like 200 people in the back of the car and she said oh i'm a mortician oh my <laughs> gosh goes, that makes sense so he had to take her back and get get her out of the car because he said it was so the, the sensory overload was like making him almost pass out yeah i had a nurse who i read for one time and she really wanted to connect with her father who passed and we were able to do that but i said you know towards the end i said listen i don't normally say this but you have 
dozens, if not hundreds of people that are standing behind you. And I was like, I don't know who to start with. And I said, I don't know where these folks come from. I don't know if maybe I'm off today. And she goes, I used to do palliative care. I believe she worked with cancer patients who were terminal. Wow. And so they do follow. And anytime they see an opening, they want to sort of be able to try to get in. And a lot of times it's gratitude or thank you for what you did for me and making this easy, you know, as I was transitioning. Often messages of love and encouragement. Sometimes it's tough love. But, you know, yeah, it does happen where the folks that come in with those types of jobs, they will carry the energy imprint of the people they've worked with. And and I bet for you, it's just like, ah, (laughs) y'all. That's the task of the medium, which is we have to really take care of ourselves. We have to be very grounded. We have to meditate. I notice if I get into a rut and I start eating bad, you know, it's just, I have less control over it. So it's, it's, interesting that it's caused me to have to deep dive into my own self-care so that I can really do this well. Some people only get one shot with the medium. And if it doesn't go well, that can really impact their belief in the spirit world and their ability to connect. So I take that responsibility really seriously. I can imagine because I actually, I had a Reiki session and this woman basically said, you know, like you hold on to so much, like that I take on so much of other people's energy. And, you know, I've had multiple people tell me that I've got like a whole pelvic thing. I hold a lot of stuff in my pelvis, but you've had that on a couple of episodes. actually. Yeah. Like people have told us like live on air. It's crazy. But one of her things that she told me I needed to start doing was to basically take like, just rinse off every day at the end of the day to like clear off all of the energy from everybody from the day before. And I'm not that great about it. I forget. But I, you know, try to do it when I can. And I have like 10 sage things all around my house to just be like, get out of here. Stop it. I want to just be me for right now and not have all that. So I can't even imagine like actually talking or hearing or any of that. So I guess that's kind of a good segue into, you know, the fact that you, with your psychic ability, you've been able to see things before they happen. And as an energy healer, you use Reiki, quantum touch and hypnotic meditative healing to heal trauma in the body. Can you tell us how you incorporate all of these things into a session with your clients or if you just use some of it and how that all works? Yeah. So exactly as you just said, maybe an intuitive is speaking with you and they start to sense like, so we would call that clairsentience. They start to pick up physically where there's some blockages or pain. And what I would notice is people that would come in for Reiki sessions or energy healing they would have subconscious beliefs that would be really, really limiting them. And so that would be an opening for me to talk about integrating like some hypnotherapy with reprogramming with positive, you know, messages. People would come in for a reading and they would just be devastated because they've lost a job and they're looking for hope. And so that would give me the opportunity to talk to them about, you know, listen, Maybe, Laura, you've got some sort of stuff that you're holding right now. And even though it feels safe to hold on to it, because that's your ego saying, let me protect you, you got to let it go. You actually have to do the 180 and do the opposite of what, you know, this protective mechanism. Because our nervous system, when we go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, it's protecting us right now. But my goodness, it is not good for our like long-term health. 
So well, is, that, is that what you mean? Sorry to interrupt you. Is that what you mean by the subconscious blockage? I mean, because if we're not consciously knowing that we're blocked, the only way to get to that is through, like you say, hypnosis. So I don't know what my question is. I'm just trying to understand this <laughs> yeah. process. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we get clients into a really relaxed state, hopefully the theta state, which is where we can do some actually really good work. I mean, we know children up to the age of seven are basically just walking around in theta. And they're doing that because they're supposed to think about survival. The body is so ingenious. If you can absorb all the rules and observe your caretakers and have that modeled for you, you'll be more likely to survive later on in life. So the human body like is so ingenious, but at the same time, we take on things and hold them that need to be released. So, so wait, 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 I'm sorry, I- with the theta. What? So what is theta exactly? She is a child that's currently under seven, so... Oh, it is seven, so... Your brain has brainwave states. So like, for example, alpha, theta, and so on. And so at any given point during the day, like if you're getting ready to go to bed, you'll go into alpha and then theta. Theta is like the meditative state. Alpha is the really relaxed, calm state. And there are other states that you can go into when you sleep. And so literally, I could put a device on your head and measure what your brainwave state is, and that will give us information. So children, we know there's a gentleman named Bruce Lipton, who's a pretty well-recognized and respected epigeneticist. And he basically has been like preaching to the high heavens about like, take care of your kids because they're absorbing everything. They're hearing everything. They're watching the way you stand. Is it any, like when I write with my pen, I have handwriting that looks like my mom's. It's really weird, but we all just absorb these things in childhood which is one of the reasons I think trauma is something that we can almost certainly link back in many cases to early life. And it's something that may have even been, you know, well-intentioned, but parents can impart things that are negative messaging and the you know, kids will hold on to it. So I get a lot of people that come to me, they're crying on my Reiki table and they're like, I just never thought that I could be anything other than an accountant and I'm miserable being an accountant. So that's why I say somebody comes in for a reading, it gives me the opportunity to really talk to them about, you know, their spiritual health. It just all sort of links together, which is why I think if you go to somebody for just the body, which is the Western view, which is very important, conventional medicine should not be overlooked, but you also may have something that's a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution or a mental problem that needs a mental health solution. And you can do that cleansing. You're capable of doing that cleansing for that client. So if they have like, I've heard of spiritual parasites that like attach themselves to you that are like negative things. Can you get rid of that shit? So that is, I'm open to any belief system that somebody comes to me with. So if they believe that there's something attached to them, that's their reality, right? And so we can work with them on that. Some people come to me and they just, they feel like it's their destiny to always be heavy. You know, they just, nothing works, nothing works. And that's what I get are people that come to me and they're like, I've tried everything. (laughs) I've gone to physical therapy. I've tried the supplement, you know, and a lot of times what's underneath that is some sort of self-limiting belief. Maybe there is some sort of spiritual karma that's being, you know, kind of unfolding before their eyes. I'm open to all of it. There are in some communities of the healing world, theta healing, for example, they do release and believe that you can call on source to do the healing and release attachments like, as you say, like parasites or entities. 
you know, I don't like to be dogmatic about any of that. I'm open to all of it. I really kind of like to be honest and say, sometimes I don't know, but let's see what we can do and let's see what works. Is there ever a time though, that you're like, somebody comes in, they're like, I have a parasite or I have this going on and you're like working on them and you're like, no, that's not, that's not it. I, I know yes. exactly what it is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> exactly. Cause it's easier. Think about it from the psyche's perspective. It's easier to have something to blame. It's easier to unleash anger towards something else rather than to do the shadow work, which is maybe I've created some of this karma. And that's why I say I like to work with people where they're at and just kind of see what works for them. And in some cases, you know, you do have people that really think that there's something that's after them or comes after them. But and it's more about personal accountability of what you've caused. You know what? Every single guest we have on here, <laughs> no matter if they're a, a therapist or a medium or anything, it all comes back to personal responsibility and yeah. personal accountability. And with that, but I just had a like quick follow. I know I'm going a little bit off script here, but I just, so when you say shadow work, could you just like quickly kind of describe what that is? Yeah. So I would encourage anybody that's interested in shadow work to Google Carl Jung and it's spelled with a J, J-U-N-G. And it essentially, he's the father of analytical psychology. You know, he and Freud were besties and then they had a falling out because Jung sort of had some more woo-woo beliefs and Freud was very much a materialist. But it's Jung's work who really, I think, has prevailed in the end. And he says that each of us for our own survival and, it's, you know, sake of sort of getting through life sort of suppress certain things in what he calls the shadow. And so we have two very powerful parts of our psyche. One is the conscious, which is, oh, there's a bird flying outside. There's a blue Jeep that's parked in front of my home. And then there's the unconscious. And the unconscious really is what makes probably 90 to 95% of our decisions every day, thank goodness, because if I had to think about breathing and blinking and my heartbeat, you know, the autonomic processes, are governed by the unconscious. So there's a lot of things that are going on and decisions that are being made by the unconscious that for better or worse are being made without us being conscious of it. That's just the way that the mind works. So shadow work would be going into the shadow and it oftentimes takes a third party, somebody that's independent, that can be you know a mirror for you and exploring maybe is there something that I have a belief about money? Maybe I think people who have a lot of money are really greedy. So that's the reason that I keep sabotaging myself and blocking abundance coming in because I have a belief that's limiting my ability to sort of, you know, take my financial situation to the next level. Doesn't necessarily make sense on paper, but when you really start to drill down, we have these beliefs. And a belief is just a thought you keep on thinking. So you can change your thoughts though. You don't have mm -hmm. to keep thinking the same thing over and over again. So shadow work is really about personal responsibility. It's sort of that old tired cliche of you look in the mirror, right? And the shadow tries to get through to us all the time. Anytime we judge someone or we have something critical to say about somebody else, Jung would say that that's the shadow actually projecting something that's inside of you onto someone else. So I always say, if somebody's very kind and they say something loving to me, I say, well, you can only see it in me because it's also in you. And then also, if somebody's being really hateful or, you know, we all sort of have 
had these experiences where somebody's being unkind toward us, I just say, well, that person must be in a lot of pain because whatever it is that they're projecting onto me is actually probably what's going on inside of them. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people can relate to in everyday life of that somebody acts a certain way and you're like, where is this coming from? And, you know, it took me a while. I would internalize it and be like, oh, clearly I'm doing something. Like clearly I'm doing something wrong and I need to fix it. I don't know what, I don't know how, I don't know where this came from. And then now I've learned that projection is very real. So, you know, even on a non-medium level, I feel like there's in the physical world, if you will, there is a lot of that going on. So I can imagine on a subconscious level, it's got to be out of control. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's when you go into mental health therapy, which is so important because it teaches us to regulate our emotions. So when we get into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and we're really activated, as I like to say, we're not really in control. It's kind of these instinctual protective mechanisms that come up. And so all of a sudden, somebody that you really love becomes the devil because they didn't call you back within 30 minutes or they showed up to dinner 15 minutes late. And so emotional regulation says, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm responsible for my body, for my feelings, for my emotions. I'm going to feel them. I'm going to process and I'm going to say the thought or the story that I'm making up about the reason you didn't call me back is because you don't love me anymore. And that's where the shadow work stuff comes in. Because if mommy or daddy taught you that you don't get to get called back in time because you're not worthy of that. Do you see where the story keeps coming from the unconscious? So that's shadow work. It's uncovering the stuff that we kind of just the muck that's stuck in the closet. I love it. Ryan, in your sessions, you focus on trauma, CPTSD, codependency, and the so-called empath-narcissist relationship. And we talk a lot about narcissism on this podcast. We've both actually been in, you know, are no longer with narcissists. And so, but we, we, we haven't really delved into the empath aspect. So can you elaborate on that dynamic and how are they sort of interconnected? Yeah. So from a spiritual perspective, there's this idea that we're all interconnected and somebody who is an empath has a strong ability to sense things that are going on underneath the surface that may not be present to the five physical senses. You just have a knowingness or an experience of somebody's pain. It's slightly different, but very similar to mental health, like empathy, right? But if I go from a spiritual perspective, narcissists often carry tremendously deep wounds. And so an empath or somebody that has a natural proclivity to heal will oftentimes sense the healing that needs to be done in the narcissist and be drawn to them like a moth to a flame. And so it's this desire to want to heal someone else that's wounded and to create a repair for them. But what the empath often overlooks is the healing that has to go on inside of them because they are probably trying to repair a mirror relationship from their early life. And they want a second shot at repairing with dad or mom or brother or what have you. And they sense that in someone else. So it's mother nature's way of healing that we're drawn to people who ultimately press those buttons and poke us in just the right ways. But with a narcissist, it's really sinister because they're really, we just don't know if there's a good way to kind of heal narcissistic wounds. I think that in some cases, people on the spectrum who maybe have just enough, but they're not full blown, maybe 
but that's even a slippery slope. So it's a healing thing that I've experienced in my own life. And Todd, I saw you shaking your head. So I'm assuming you've had an experience too, where you've had to let go of somebody that you really just wanted to be okay and you wanted to love them, but there was just some disconnect, but it wasn't you, it was them. Mm-hmm. It's hard when you're at that point when you you still, you know, they've been you know, so unkind to you and it's it's actually ridiculous how awful it is, but you're still like you have this like, oh, but maybe if I said this or maybe if I did this, maybe it will click for them. Maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can heal them. They're just their heart. They don't understand. They're a wounded kid. They don't, you know. When you're in it, nobody could convince you otherwise of what's going on. Like, and so I started keeping a journal. Like I always had a journal, but I started keeping a journal specifically about kind of the dynamics of what was going on and like almost more of a a log. Like it'd be like, this was said today. This is what happened. This was my reaction. This was their reaction. And when I go back and look at that now, I'm like, why were you doing that? Like, get out. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And I think that's the hardest part is like coming to terms with the fact that nothing is going to change, that they're stuck in this kind of loop in this shame-based thing that you think is, you know, almost, I remember I kept trying to diagnose all these different things. Like, you know, maybe this is some kind of bipolar, maybe this is like I kept going back, it's just so nuts how many books I read, how many things that were not going on, but that I was like, okay, it's gotta, I've got to figure this out. You know, this is my ultimate challenge. And, you know, that point where you have to just be like, okay, now let's call a spade a spade. That That Absolutely. is the light bulb moment. And when you're healing your clients from a narcissistic relationship and they were the empath, is there any sort of common theme that you see? Yes, a common dissociation from their own bodily experiences and emotional sensations. So for example, oftentimes when people have experienced narcissistic abuse, they look at the other person and they say, they this, they that, you know, they wouldn't do this. They would always do that. And those things are true. And you have to hold space for somebody to process and grieve, right? That's a stage of it. But also a stage of grief is denial. And so, Laura, I think that in some sense, like what you were really trying to do is say, this person has to be capable of healing. Like nobody could possibly treat another human being this way. There has to be something going on. And little did you know, you were right. You were just kind of going through the experimentation of what could this be. So what I try to do is say, listen, we will talk about you know narcissist X and we'll put them over here. But let's talk about you. How did you feel? when they gaslighted you about the infidelity? Where did you feel it in your body? Oh, you have chronic migraines? Oh, interesting. And you've never had a history of that before. Gosh, I wonder what your body was trying to tell you. So it's actually repairing the constant external focus, right? And we get taught as kids to do that, right? We start to learn about who we are through the eyes of the third party. You're in church. You can't, you know, (laughs) do that. You know, behave, follow all these rules. So to no fault of our own, we're just doing what we were taught to do, but it's actually reparenting and reframing from the perspective of what was my experience in this. And I will just say from somebody that's recovering you know, from narcissistic abuse in my early life, as well as in other relationships, I was constantly worried about the other person totally overlooking my lesson, my learning, my healing in it. 
And so that's where I think therapy and coaching really helped me along the way. And I just try to share with people that, listen, this is a process. I wish I had some sort of Reiki that I could give you and overnight it would all go away. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people do have miracle experiences in energy work or what have you. But at the end of the day, this is part of what we came here to do, what we came here to grow, to expand, to learn. And I think I knew I was really, really in a good place when I could look back and still acknowledge that it was wrong, acknowledge that I didn't deserve that, but also have some semblance of gratitude that thank goodness I learned mm -hmm. from that because I'll never, you can't, you, know, yeah. you can't unlearn that lesson either. I mean, it's like once you see it, there's no going back. But I do think it's important what you just said about that it's not like an overnight thing. Like you can overnight figure out like, oh, okay, they're a narcissist or they're on the spectrum of it or they have these wounds that I'm not going to be able to – like this is an impossible task. But the work continues to have to be done on yourself because you were kind of repressing all of that whole time, repressing all of your own feelings, your own emotions. And I still to this day feel like I am still working through – you know, I have intense anxiety. And so I have to be like, remind myself, okay, remember that, you know, where are you feeling this in your body? Why are you feeling this? And don't do that disassociate thing that you used to do. Cause I would just stuff it all down just yeah. for survival. Anxiety is so common and I call anxiety the gift wrap emotion. Oh, There's actually a gift inside of it, but the anxiety is covering up things like fear, pain, sadness, anger. And when we experience anxiety, I always tell people, okay, so like when we can get you back to breathing and not so shallow breaths and we get you back to sort of groundedness, what do you think was going on? What was your body trying to tell you with those anxious, you know, fiddling your fingers and biting your fingernails and like your tense all over? What do you think your body was trying to tell you? Well, you were in danger. Mm -hmm. There was anger that you weren't allowing yourself to feel because somebody told you you couldn't have anger. And the anger was teaching you, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. this boundary got crossed. That ain't good. So the anger is actually not bad. And I, you know, I have to say, I'm not a licensed therapist. I am a coach. So I can't be too critical of the mental health community. But this idea that there are positive and negative emotions is so BS from my perspective. Emotions are just information. It's not good or bad. I mean, there may be a desired emotion that you wish or mm -hmm. an undesired emotion. But when we say anger is a negative emotion, anxiety is negative emotion, overcome your negative emotions, people stop feeling it. They don't want to feel it because it's negative. It's not negative. It's good. The anger that you have towards the person that harmed you is excellent. It's an incredible survival mechanism because you know where your line is, you know how to protect yourself. And when you feel that anger and you allow yourself to have it, it protects you going forward. Wow. Well, that's a big thing we've also found on here too, is that the necessity of anger also. And it's not just like necessary to, and then you get over it and it's you're through it, that it's a healthy and necessary thing in the path of healing because it's, it's real. Like you feel it like, and you can't just deny it for the rest of time. So that's amazing. I really think that you know, that's a really good message for everybody that all emotions are important and you should pay attention to them. Maybe don't let them 
whisk you away into a rage. But right. what <laughs> the, does Brene Brown say? Anger is an excellent catalyst, but a terrible companion. Yes. So use it, use it to walk up the ladder to other things, oh. but don't ignore it. Yeah. I know she was a huge inspiration for you. Yeah. She was. Oh yeah. my gosh. Her TED talk on vulnerability. Oof, so good. Huge part of my spiritual awakening. That was a huge turnaround. Like for me, I was in law school and I watched that and it was like, it went from me being like obsessed with reading. I mean, I had to read. It was forced upon me, but that was a big part in my kind of journey to start seeking therapy about my feelings about even law school. So, you know, mm. it got she, Queen Brene, love her. I can't get enough, but back to you. So on top of all that you do, you're also an NLP practitioner, which is neuro-linguistic programming, which I find Mm -hmm. to be fascinating. What is that exactly and how do you help others with that? Yeah. So I would say that it probably links into spiritual speak about law of attraction and manifestation. And it's this idea that words are really, really important. I mean, we're the first to hear the words that we speak, right? So this is about reframing people's daily experiences and kind of getting sort of NLP, I would say, kind of infiltrates everything that I do. It's a lot of reframing. And so somebody just says, you know, to me, you know, I can't or I don't or I'm not able to X, Y, and Z. And NLP says, oh, okay, well, why is that? Why do you think that is? And we basically get people to start fixing their thoughts and their words to be less blanket, right? And actually look at something from the perspective of like, okay, overgeneralizing here is actually creating the pattern. So I can't, I won't, whatever that is, we've got to get into the middle of where that's coming from, my friend. Because the reality is a lot of people are able to lose weight. A lot of people are able to go get that law degree. A lot of people are able to attract in healthy partners. So you can't be the exception here. There's got to be something we got to release and reframe. So I call it my reframing tool. (laughs) It's my ability to get into somebody's, you know, belief system and say, what's limiting you here? So that's at the core of pretty much everything that I do. Yeah. It's kind of like basically when people say like, take, you know, I can't out of your vocabulary. It's that, but on a much bigger scale. Yeah. This idea that, oh, I'm cursed or there's something about me. I just can never attract a good guy or what have you. And it's like, well, I don't think that that's helping you. How is that serving you? And the answer is it's serving them by protecting them. So you see, it's just one of those tools that kind of is in the toolbox to be a gateway to getting at what's really underneath the surface and what can you release and let go. And then I use that a lot with teaching folks how to manifest. So saying things in the positive as though you have them now. I'm sure the two of you may be familiar with law of attraction. You know, someday I'll go off and get my pilot's license. Well, when is that? What that you're just telling your body you're not worthy of it right now. So I thank the universe for allowing me to get my pilot's license and have joy and fulfillment from it, right? And you start telling yourself that, your mind starts believing it. You know, your subconscious doesn't know what's true and what's not true. So if you just keep telling it positive things, it'll ultimately start working with your body to manifest and attract in things that serve you. So we unconsciously limit ourselves on the daily. Absolutely. And it's not your fault. You got fed the same thing that your parents got fed, that their parents got fed, that their parents got fed, and it all gets passed down. There's even research to say that this gets passed down to us biologically. 
you know, we know, and I've had patients or not patients, but clients who have been mental health patients that they basically come to me and they're like, nothing that I'm doing is working. So we'll go into a regression and then ultimately they'll be back in the womb and they're remembering their parents fighting and feeling deathly afraid because their father's throwing lamps across the room. And then they'll check it out with their mom and they'll be like, did this ever happen when you were pregnant with me? And she'll go, oh my God, how did you know that? Kids absorb the stress hormones and they hear and they are experiencing what's going on while they're in the womb. So it is, we pass down things both biologically and sociologically just through like family traditions and values and mannerisms and all that. So it's both. So obviously we have talked about, we haven't even touched all of the the services that you offer and like what you do. And we'll have to have you back because this is just, this is too much fun. But out of every kind of single skill and training you possess for healing and spiritual guidance, what are your absolute two favorite vehicles to nurture the human spirit? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. Well, I reserve the right to change my mind in the future. Okay. <laughs> That's noted. Noted. <laughs> However, if any of my clients are listening to this, no, I really have leaned into the coaching aspect of it. Recently, I have actually started a group coaching practice and it's been incredible. So I'm really finding that that's not just been, you know, exciting for me to see unfold, but also the people that are in it. So I would say the coaching aspect of it is just so incredible, but also I love to provide evidence of the spirit world to people. I love to provide evidence of the other side. I love a skeptic. I love seeing people's minds open up. And so in that way, I really enjoy the mediumship aspect of it. You know, over COVID, people were really hurting. People were losing, you know, folks in their family and their friend circles left and right, a lot of bereavement. And it was almost like the collective shifted during that time frame as souls were crossing over. So many people were coming through. So I would say those are the two that I'm seeing myself gravitate towards wow. right now. No, I, yeah. But they're all awesome. Yeah. Well, that just gave me a lot of goosebumps because I feel like the pandemic is the reason this podcast happened. Podcast. And I was it just was, about to say that, Laura. Like we literally got together and and we're talking, catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a really long time. And it just kind of evolved out of this discussion that COVID is such an impactful thing. I mean, there's no other really big thing that you can point to that every single person on the planet experienced simultaneously. And that yeah, there when was- you called it a, when, you were, when you were telling me about your idea, you, you called it a collective trauma, that we all went through this trauma together. And I was yeah. like, this is the time for us all to talk about that trauma. This is almost like, to me, it was like a hit, a pause, reset, whatever button to focus on what is important in your life. What should you be prioritizing? Was it so important to focus everything on your, you know, nine to five? You know, were you kind of, you know, it obviously put a lot of hardship on a lot of people, but that is sometimes where, I mean, that's where people grow from is, yeah. you know, diamonds are created under pressure. So it's, I felt like it was a big shift and it was also, it pushed us to yeah. do this and have these conversations. So I just love that. Love the way you frame that. There's no growth inside the comfort zone. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, it's too comfy. Put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm writing that down. <laughs> exactly. I reserve the right to make that into a bumper sticker. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, some good news. We saw that you were in development for a TV show. I know you can't talk too much about it, which is surrounding your journey. But if you're allowed to, can you also tell us if you're working on any new music and what sort of the TV show covers exactly? Anything? Yeah. You can give us? Well, what I can say is it would involve just kind of seeing me authentically kind of doing the things that I do in the community. So it would be problematic if I went too, too deep into that because it is still in development. And I'm sure all of, you know, anybody that's been in this situation knows it can take a long time for those things to unfold. But we do know it will cover at least 1000 topics because that's how many (laughs) things you do. (laughs) Yeah, it sets me up for a good... You will uh, never have to search for episode (laughs) content. (laughs) There's a lot of variety. Exactly. But one thing I'll I'll just say is that my journey as a musician shifted when I started to learn about how other cultures in ancient times viewed music. And so I love to tell this story, which is, you know, in Mandarin, the symbol for medicine is actually built off of the symbol for music. So in that culture, they understood music and in many cultures, right? They understood music, sound, and vibration to be medicine. So for me, my job as a musician is to be a healer, to basically practice the medicine of music. So to me, music is medicine. That's what it's all about. And I feel like incorporating that. I've even started to pick up um, sound bowls now. And so I'm just learning so much about how it affects me and impacts me physically. Like just vibration is incredible. It can be so grounding and healing. And so it will probably have some, some things to do with that. But still doing the, you know, kind of pop music thing as well. Still writing. But as everybody knows, I mean every industry has been impacted by the pandemic. So it shifted my time and energy and focus. So some projects I've had have been put on pause, but they're getting ready to resume. Yeah. It's kind of nice that things it's, it's like, feels like spring, like everything is coming out again, but like with a new focus. And that's something that I've, I think was really necessary. I mean, I know there's a lot of tumultuous things going on all over the place all the time, but I think that especially people like entertainers like yourself and then you know, I own a restaurant and was in the hospitality industry. So it was a massive, impactful situation. But I think that it helped us hone everything and appreciate what we're doing and realize like how much we actually missed, you know, it's a cliche, but like in a restaurant environment, everybody is complaining. Literally the customers, the servers, everybody is just in this mood. And so it like kind of, I think, reprogrammed us to be like, Okay, don't take this for granted. This is something that people missed. And so let's like make this an experience again. And I think that was a huge thing with music because we have a lot of live music at the restaurant. And it was like for a little while they let us reopen, but we couldn't have live music because they were like, oh, I guess it's going to spit all over everybody. Or I think one of the things too is that. Don't get me started. I know. It's so crazy. But then one of the <laughs> we other We used things, to have to, in rehearsal, we would have to wear these giant like things <laughs> and like a mat and trying to hear people sing through that was just, it's just so funny. It's like, hey, you want to hear some muscle music? It all sounded like music? Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like to hear something that sounds sort of like music? But one of the things too is they're like, well, people will be dancing. It's like, oh my gosh, it's like Footloose again. What are you talking about so once they allowed live music come back i remember the first live music 
that's great. I remember the first time that I went, I went to a live show and the one rule there was you could not get out of your seat. And I will tell you, I owned a restaurant. I was having to enforce these rules at my own restaurant. I got out of my seat like 15 times. I cannot believe they didn't kick me out. And it was because I knew the people that ran the bar. But it was like, I guess y'all are not totally wrong. Like I just wanted to, you know, dance and feel it. And it was something that, you know, I think it refocused us to like appreciate a lot of the things that were taken away from us. So anyways, I could go on a whole other podcast just about the pandemic alone, but I know it is, this is important for you and I want to highlight it. So you have an upcoming online course about shadow work, which will have an emphasis on healing codependency and the spiritual purpose of soulmates relationships. And it's for both single people and couples. So when can we expect that to be available? So we also reserve the right to push it back. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> it has been it's been a labor of love. It has been years in the making, actually. The pandemic really put a hamper on this. But I will say, I'm so excited to say, I believe the best guesstimate here is the summer. It should be out. Awesome. And I'm really, really looking forward to being able to free up some of my time to see more people one-on-one. With this course, there would be the opportunity to have more one-on-one folks as well as group coaching. But the idea is really to just kind of lean into a lot of the stuff we've talked about on this podcast and reframe it from a spiritual perspective, provide some mental health education. And yeah, it's really exciting. I am a firm believer that Mother Nature's way of healing us is through our relationships. You know, we are a communal tribal species and it's almost like we just sense that somebody is going to press the right buttons for us and they attract in and we're attracted to them. They're attracted to us. And it's as one of the founders of Amago Therapy and Communication once said, you know, somebody is the person of your dreams only to become the person of your nightmare. Mm. And people ultimately find out who they really are and what their challenges are in relationships. So that's why I say it's for both couples and single people, because I sense a lot of my clients struggle with how do I connect with other people? A lot of people come to me single feeling unworthy of relationships because other relationships have failed in the past. And then there are people that come to me and they're coupled, but they're miserable Mm. and they think it's the other person's fault. And so we're able to reframe that. So the whole point of this is for people to be able to work at their own pace and if so desired to work with a partner through this. Awesome. I think that I'll be on the lookout for it for sure. And so, you know, just give me a heads up. I'll post something about it. Absolutely. The the codependency moment. (laughs) Can you like expand on that a little bit? Because I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Hypothetically. Well, I've never experienced it in my life either. So I would have no way of knowing from a personal perspective. (laughs) No, I'm like the poster child Wikipedia photo for recovering codependent. And that's why I think it's so near and dear to my heart. Because life for me has opened up in such a beautiful way after I've been able to put language to what it is. So I have a very simple way of defining codependency. Codependency is you're okay. I'm okay. Or you're not okay. Okay. Now I'm not okay. Right. So someone who has done some healing work and some growth on this issue is able to be okay, even in the midst of others and situations around them that maybe aren't okay. 
So I don't require the other person's approval, validation, and being okay in order for me to be okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that definitely- I've never said those words in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. We romanticize it, don't we? Yes. In our love. Yes. In our culture and our movies. And, you know, it's just, we- I don't know if you are familiar with Dr. Gabor Mate, but he has a lot of talks about how, you know, people go to the grave and in their obituaries, it's like, this was the most selfless person in the world. And they only thought of other people and they never thought of themselves and they're dying at 58 from heart attack. Mm -hmm. It's like, why do you think? Because your heart is so broken. It's, there's this connected aspect, I think, from the emotional to the physical. And my hope is to at least give people the option to explore this from a different perspective and different way of thinking about it, hopefully to reframe it. And that's my goal is to just at least provide the information to people. That I read a book. It was called Codependent No More. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that book? Excellent book. Yes. Oh, it changed my entire perspective on codependency for this friend I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He read <laughs> the book and then he told Todd <laughs> about book. it. <laughs> good friend, Todd. He really is. <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you going into that a little bit more because I do think a lot of our, our listeners, some of them, I mean, it was new to me. I had never heard of like codependency or anything like that. And, you know, all of this wraps around personal accountability, boundaries, personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all connected. All of these ideas, it all comes back to the same place. Yeah. It's just been very interesting to find that through line. Yeah. In all of these, and you know, these 30 something interviews we've done, it's like, it's crazy. It, yeah. it really is that simple, but we make it so complicated as humans because we are complicated. Yeah. I mean, we're complicated, but we're, you know, once we can get everybody <laughs> to listen to this podcast and <laughs> <laughs> you're cured. <laughs> yeah. It, you're going to be fine. But I think that is such an important message that it really, it is one thing to be selfless or have altruistic ideals and want to give back. But it's another thing to literally lose yourself and everybody else. And then you're no longer helping anybody. I mean, you're just absorbing everything else. And that's a major thing that I've had to work on is how to almost, it's not like put up a barrier, but the boundaries aspect of like, I'm not in a place that I can deal with what you're doing right now or what what is going on with you. But I know somebody great you can talk to or <laughs> I've got, you know, some numbers for some therapists if you need that. But that's been a huge journey for me is trying to just not be everybody's therapist in a way. Because I don't even have the training, guys. I'm not trained to be a therapist. So just, you know, I do my best. But anyways, this has been so absolutely wonderful. We it's perfect. just can't um you're you're just a a delightful person oh, overall. So friends. yes. Yay. Oh yes, please. We'll I'm coming anytime. Yeah. And I'm coming to Nashville, oh. but before yes. we go, we do have a tradition on this show, which is the question of the day. So our question today is if you only had one month left to live, how would you spend it? Ooh, I would release all of my music that's in the folders that are my unreleased folders. Gosh, I would just let loose, right? Gosh, if I only had one more month to live, I would have to schedule some sort of tour. Yeah. You know, I'd have to finish a book. Oh, yeah. I'd have to do all the things. Not sleep for a month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, probably like after the pandemic, 
if you had asked me that question uh, like a year ago or something, I would have said sleep. (laughs) 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 I didn't sleep at all. Yeah, I would just really let loose and just let all the stuff that I have kind of, you know, in process, I would just like forget about the perfecting it and just be like, I'm going to put it out there. Well, Ryan, what's stopping you? You know, know, maybe we need to reframe some of this. I know, because my work. (laughs) We do. I feel like I need the two of you actually to (laughs) channel intuitively. You probably are channeling intuitively. What do you think I'm doing right now? You know, I've been talking to somebody. That's right. This is the spark. Yes. Well, it's definitely felt like a spark. This has been so much fun. So delightful. Oh, And and I learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and I'm actually, I learned that Todd read a book, another book. It, that's it's very that's rare, now, but it happens. So, uh, that's two. Or I have two. <laughs> but yeah, this is a great time. And thank you so much for coming on. And we just, you know, we can't wait to have you back. So oh, until thank next you guys time. so much. Anytime. Until next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Well, what, what do you think? think? And what do you think? No, what did you think? No, I... <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I think he is just such a great guy. I I don't know what I was really expecting because, you know, he does all this, does all of these things. And, you know, I really only had seen his website. I hadn't really seen any like interviews with him or anything, but he's so laid back, but also engaged. And it was just a really fun interview. I felt like it was I wrote down so many new words. Like, I was just like, wait, okay. So that's where clairvoyance comes from. Oh, now there's five of them. And the theta, like I had heard about brainwaves. Like I knew about the brainwave thing, but not in like a state of how to get people into that state to release things and for healing and, you know, just all of it. I just felt like it was... It touched on a lot of things that I think are important to us and important to people out there. So I just hope everybody else. He dove in. I mean, he just can, he's done so much work on like energy healing and being a medium and, you know, and then he's an artist on top of it. He's a singer songwriter. So I just, it's remarkable. And he's such an advocate for the LGBTQIA plus community. I mean, you know, he is really, really like. If we're going to have some representation, he's got he's my a vote. Good one. He's a good <laughs> yeah. one and good looking, good you know, one. so that yeah. helps. Yeah, he was very easy on the eyes for sure. Yeah, and I also just, you know, to emphasize to everybody out there, he does have an incredible voice and his music, like go look up Ryan Hagen on Spotify or whatever, because I was definitely jamming out before we did this. You'll have all the links to his websites and stuff. Oh, his, yeah. his website is musicmedium.co. Yes. Co. Yes, not calm. Don't, don't do don't the calm. Yeah, don't that calm was a, him. That, that, was, a, that was a him mistake in. on my part. But <laughs> he really, you know, and the fact that he was, you know, this athlete and he's, he's just, he's just, he's so knowledgeable about so many different things. Like you called him a true renaissance man at the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, he really, I mean, I learned, I learned a lot today and I kind of want to hire him. <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to do some energy work. Yeah. Can you please fix me? Thank yes, you so yes. much. <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> yes. Hypothetically, if one were to need some fixing. No, I thought it was, I mean, I think I would like to hire him as well. I mean, I almost during that whole thing want to be like, are you are you reading us right now? What are you getting? Who's who's behind me? What are you me? getting? What? I know. <laughs> 
But all around, I just think that, you know, it was, I don't know when he sleeps. That, that's my main question is, is when does that man actually rest? But I'm sure that he makes time because he seems to be smart. But why don't we go ahead and answer the question of the day ourselves? I'm sure. So, Todd Adamson, yeah. if you only had one month left to live, how would you spend it? I would go home to Charleston and I would get some sort of giant house on the beach like Kiowa or Folly or something. And I would have all my family and friends on a rotating schedule for that entire month come and visit. That is what I would do. I would want to spend the time with the people I love and the people that have made such an impact on my life. I mean, like I would fly in mentors. I would spend the rest of my life and my money making all of that happen just so I could say a proper goodbye and let them know how much they mean and all of those things. That's what I would do. Well, I really like I really like that answer because it, now it makes me feel like my answer is very like I don't know selfish in a way. But I guess if I only no. a month to live, then I should be thinking about myself. But no, I do want to be surrounded by the people I love. But it's like yeah. instead of making them come to me, I would you like all of them. I would sell my house. I would rent like get a private plane and a pilot, load my kids up. And we would go around the world visiting oh, see, all the people. That's, that's, that's great. And that's just because, I mean, I'm blessed to already live on the water in Charleston. Right. And I do have a lot of people that come and see me, which is amazing. But there's just so much more out there that I do want to see. And I would like hate to have never been to Asia. Right. I would have, you know, like I want to go see Bali. I want to... You oh, know, now that now Bali would be an amazing place to go. I want to ride like, an elevator. I want to do all the things. So, you know, overall, it would be not only seeing people I love, but experiencing things I've never experienced. And, and then, you know, just taking away a lot of the self imposed responsibilities that I have and hyper focus. And the, the private plane part is important because I don't want to be taken. I don't want to be in the car. I don't want to be on a train. I want there to be like a full service staff on there. That's like, Isabel, here's your quesadilla and Laura, here's your champagne and caviar. So <laughs> just want to make that clear. So that everybody Wait, knows. Can I come? <laughs> you are now invited. <laughs> But we will have to Let's stop at your beach house. house. Style. Exactly. <laughs> Ryan Hagen, thank you so much for coming on the program today. We really just, you just, I'm leaving in like a healthy, happy, good I know. mood today. This is, it's I like, like light. I feel lighter. It's light, but it was heavy. It was heavy. We talked about some heavy things and some heavy ways to fix, like, or not to fix. That's a bad word. It's like heal. Yeah. And I don't know. It made me feel very hopeful. It was very hopeful. He's got a good energy. I'm telling you. Oh, he's got a, it's yeah, just he's like, great. So I agree with you. Thank you so much for coming, Ryan. We had a blast and we will make you come back. So (laughs) you have no choice. Anyways, delightful time. And as always, I love seeing your face, Todd. Love seeing you. And I can't wait till next time. I know. All right. Bye, babe.